Good morning, church. That last video was a collaboration between pastors Richie and Miranda, and they did a great job with that. It's been a great video to watch every week, and I'm not allowed to say, but it's one of their birthdays today. So if you can figure that out, go wish her a happy birthday. She would really appreciate it. <sighs> it's been a wonderful service so far. I'm honestly out of wind already, and there's a whole other service after this. So bear with me. But I'm so thankful for the opportunity to preach today. If we haven't met yet, my name is Matt Music, and my wife Miranda and I serve as the co-pastors of Community Life here. Pastor Mark and Janice are in Oklahoma, as Pastor Matt said in his prayer this weekend, as Mark preached at his friend James's Celebration of Life service yesterday. To James's family, we mourn alongside you, and we're praying for you. We also pray for a safe, re uh, safe return for Pastor Mark and Janice. And we look forward to them being back with us later this week. Today is the third Sunday of Lent, and I hope that you're spending extra time in prayer during this season of fasting because Easter is already less than a month away. Crazy. So before we get into our text for this morning, I want to set the stage for this story because this story's context is vitally important to the direction that we're going. Last week, Pastor Blair preached from Mark 4, where Jesus taught a few parables about the kingdom of God, like the farmer spreading seed, the importance of the soil, how the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Jesus taught all of these parables to a very large crowd, according to Mark chapter 4, verse 1, while he was sitting in a boat. Towards the end of this chapter, Jesus says that it's getting late, and he and his 12 disciples begin to cross the lake, leaving the large crowd behind them. During this boat ride, Jesus decides to take a nap, and while he is coming, a storm comes. The disciples begin to panic, and they shout to their Lord for help. If you've ever seen the mugs or t-shirts that say, Jesus naps, be like Jesus, that's where this, that phrase comes from. It's from the story in Mark 4. He wakes up to their shouting, though, and rebukes the stormy waves and winds by saying, silence, be still. That command of silence is literally translated as be muzzled. And suddenly, the storm stops. Jesus doesn't stop his rebuke here, however, as he continues and asks his disciples, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples are terrified. They thought they were just going to drown as their teacher slept, and now the sea is perfectly calm. They ask themselves, who is this man? Even the wind and waves obey him. It is in light of this story and the question of who is this man that we find our story for this morning. So would you stand for the reading of God's word from Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, and I'm reading this morning from the New Living Translation. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. 
With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the men and entered the pigs. And the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all terrified, afraid. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, No, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, thank you for being with us. In the midst of our praise, in the midst of our worship, in the midst of whatever we come into the sanctuary holding on to today. May the sanctuary be a place of peace. May this peace expand to anyone who's hearing over any other kind of electronic platform. And may you be glorified in all of our worship. May we focus our eyes upon you, Lord. May this message be from you. We love you, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Before I go any further, I just want to say wow to this story. I think oftentimes we hear or read these Bible stories, and maybe it's because we've heard them a hundred times at least, or maybe because the new ones occurred roughly 2,000 years ago. But it's easy to forget that these were real people. But this is a story about a man who is radically transformed by Jesus. Our Jesus who is still alive and at work today. And I pray that we can all still be amazed by God's work that's found in Scripture. Well, Mark, not Pastor Mark, but the author of the Gospel of Mark, tells us that this story happened in the region of the Gerasenes. I doubt that geographical area means very much to you and I who live in eastern Ohio. But what he's actually communicating by that is extremely important. He's saying that Jesus is at an away game. Now, yes, I know, Jesus has always existed and he created everything, so everywhere is technically a home game for him. I get it. But he also lived on earth as a first century Jew. The story takes place in Gentile territory, where if there were any Jews, there weren't many. This is the first time in his ministry that he's not actually in Jewish territory, and he winds up in a cemetery. 
Any contact with a dead body would cause a Jew to be ceremonially unclean. So this is a non-Jewish spot in a non-Jewish territory. And that's not accounting for the demoniac or the pigs. And 2,000 pigs is a whole lot of pigs who would have been worth a whole lot of money. Jews weren't allowed to eat pigs, so Jesus is actually with non-Jewish animals in a non-Jewish spot, in a non-Jewish territory, talking with a non-Jewish demon-possessed man. Everything in this story screams Gentile and unclean. This is not where the Jewish Messiah was supposed to be. Before Jesus can even get out of his boat, he sees a man who is truly the picture of death coming towards him. This man has been banished from his home and his family because he is demon-possessed. He is naked, bloody from self-mutilation, and dirty from living among the graves. And he comes to Jesus in a shouting fit. Jesus doesn't write off this man as a village lunatic, but instead he sees a man in desperate need for redemption and tells the demons to come out of him. This command angers the demons, as we read, who have long had control over this man. At the sight and sound of Jesus, the demons cry out, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. So much is going on in these couple of sentences. One, the demons immediately recognize the presence of Jesus is going to disrupt their lives. Two, at this point in Mark's gospel, only demons have announced that Jesus is the Son of God. No human has used this title for him yet. And three, the term Most High God describes the sovereignty of God over everything. The one who just told the wind and the waves to be muzzled is stronger than all of the demonic forces, and they know it. Jesus responds by asking the demons their name, and they answer legion. Now, a legion in the Roman army consisted of 2,000 to 6,000 troops, depending on different interpretations. But either way, that's a whole lot of demons. And once they give away their name, they begin to beg Jesus to send them out of the area, or in Luke's version of the same story, to not be sent to the bottomless pit. The demons begin a plea deal of sorts with Jesus and ask to be sent into the herd of pigs over on the hillside. Jesus allows them to do this, and no, we don't really know why he did this. But the pigs become so out of control that they immediately charge off the cliff only to be drowned in the lake. Like Pharaoh's army in the Exodus, or the wicked witch in the Wizard of Oz, the demons are destroyed by the waters. Just like the chains and shackles that Legion had broken off this man, Jesus has broken this man free from the bounds of Legion. Jesus doesn't let the laws of ritual purity that were designed for protection stop him from intruding into an out-of-bounds area and setting this man free. Now, the demons may have been clearly defined as legion, but who actually is this man? In this story, he isn't given a name, and though he's probably safe to say that he was given a name at birth, I wonder if he thought to himself, who am I? Who am I apart from this demon now? Am I truly separated from it? Not only could he be dealing with, who, with how to see himself, but also how would others see him? The demoniac has long been defined by his possession, and now that he is healed, 
the local community just doesn't know what to do with them. The herdsmen who witnessed all their pigs drown are rightfully terrified, and they run to the nearby town telling everyone what they just witnessed. They tell of a Jewish man with 12 followers who stepped out of a boat, had a brief interaction with a local demoniac, and then suddenly their pigs were demon-possessed and charging off a cliff. The news spreads quickly, and people rush over to the tombs to see what happened. Once they get there, they see the unbelievable. The former demoniac is sitting still, fully dressed, and in the right mind, listening to a traveling Jewish teacher and his friends. These people are terrified, and they immediately ask Jesus to leave. This man would have been a distraction at best to normal society, and yet the people aren't even thankful for Jesus dealing with the problem, and that's not even accounting for an ounce of compassion. Instead, they see a huge disturbance to their normal ways of life and see a financial disaster floating out in the lake. Unlike Legion, the people don't even ask the question, why are you interfering with us? And they skip right to telling Jesus to leave. What about bringing others that are demon-possessed? What about asking how the herdsmen are supposed to feed their families now that all the pigs have drowned? What other miracles could happen in this area? What about just sitting down and listening to the teaching of Jesus while he's teaching the demoniac, or the former demoniac? None of these questions are raised because while they could not control the demons, they could at least get on with their lives as long as the possessed man lived on the outskirts of town, out of sight and out of mind. It doesn't matter to them that Jesus' presence meant deliverance to the demoniac, to the townspeople, Jesus' invasion threatened the status quo in their carefully structured world, and they begged Jesus to leave. While preparing for the sermon, I found this quote, and as as much as I hope and pray that it's not true, I do feel humbly obligated to ponder it. We modern readers are fooling ourselves if we think that we, by contrast, would like having Jesus around. We do not understand Mark's picture of him unless we recognize that he is terrifying. How often do we wish that Jesus was still physically here on this earth or that we could be living during Bible times plus our microwaves and everything else? Not to take away from the amazing experiences that this would bring, but if we witnessed Jesus stepping out of a boat and into our lives, would we hold tightly to ourselves and cry out, why are you interfering with me, Jesus? I know who you are. You're the son of the most high God. But this is my area. Can't you stay over there? Things are good here. I have my systems. I have my structures. I have my routines. I don't need disturbed Perspective matters. Though the people may have seen their abundance of food charging off a cliff, the man saw his demons lifelessly bobbing in the waves. For what was a disturbance to everyday life for the town was the pure redemption of the town's lowliest person. When this man was demon-possessed, they had tried to bind him. They put chains on his hands and shackles on his feet, but the demon's bounds were stronger than any human binding, and they broke Humans couldn't do it. But as Jesus says in Mark 3, 27, 
right after he's accused of being Satan, who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man like Satan and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Only Jesus was strong enough to plunder Legion and return the house to the rightful owner. Because of the people's pleading, Jesus gets back into the boat, but the free man begs to go with him. He seeks to be bound by Jesus, but Jesus' binding is not of domination or chains. Rather, it is a life of hope that offers freedom to the captive. He did not need to be with Jesus to be bound in his love. For remember, Romans 8, 38-39 says, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus tells this man to go home to his family and to tell them everything that the Lord has done for him. We don't know the kind of training this man had or what he really understood about the scriptures or who Jesus really was, but he knows his testimony. He knows what the Lord has done for him and the mercy that has been freely shared. And when the people, in the ta- and when the people heard this message in the ten towns, they were amazed. So Jesus returns back to Jewish territory, but what kind of seed was planted in Gentile territory because of this healed man? How many people fell in love with our Lord and Savior who hadn't even personally met him yet because of the message that was shared by him? We won't really know these answers until heaven, but we do know from Matthew 4.25 that large crowds followed him, Jesus, wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea, and from east of the Jordan River. In Mark 7, 24 through 29, there's the story of the Syrian Phoenician mother who comes to Jesus begging him to heal her daughter of possessed spirit. She's from an area that's deep in Gentile territory. So could she have known about our Savior from this healed man? By sending the man away, Jesus expanded his ministry into a further Gentile context. For the good news of Jesus knows no national or ethnic boundaries. Once he is healed from his non-human life to a person with a home and friends, he does not return to take up life as usual. His healing has given him a new purpose. He is to let others know that God's mercy can overcome the worst evils in human experience. His healing brought about his mission, not just a restoration back to the status quo. Today's story is kind of a strange one. Jesus leaves from teaching a very large crowd. He crosses, takes a nap, and silences a stormy sea heals a single man, leaves him where he was, and then, just, and then just returns to where the large crowd was. He could have spent this time healing and teaching the masses, but he knew that he was needed on the other side of the lake. And that's a lot of effort 
for just one man. But that is reckless love. During Lent, you have time to reflect deeply on how you may feel like you are living a chaotic life without a hope of rescue. You may feel completely separated from God and from a truly loving community. You may feel completely unworthy because of all the sin in your past or what you did this morning or last night. Let this story be a reminder of how dangerously redemptive Jesus' power really is. Allow him to invade your life with a peace that is so beyond this world, a peace that disrupts the status quo and leaves you with a hope and love that is unimaginable. Or maybe you come into this morning as a Christian who has known God's love for you for all your life, but you have let everything else that's going on in the world bind your mission and stop you from sharing God's love. This morning, would you repent of your laxness and pray to God to give you a surging love, one that knows no bounds and one that consistently and constantly asks Jesus to interfere with your life? Our altars are always open. Would you take this opportunity to pray and reflect as we sing?